Welcome to Food Farms and Chefs radio show, where we highlight everyone from the top industry leaders to startups and farmers that make it all possible with Chef Jean Blom and photojournalist Amaris Pollock. and chefs. I am very, very happy to be able to introduce Taylor Hopkins, who is the manager of the newly dubbed Kira Sushi in Philadelphia. Taylor, welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so real quick, because I didn't do any history research on you. Uh, is this your first time managing a Philadelphia-based restaurant? Uh, yes, it is. So how did you learn about Curious Sushi? And, you know, is that something that you're a fan of? Um, so my last restaurant working, I was a head sushi chef, actually, at um, Benihana in Plymouth Meeting. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I was looking for, like, another sushi position more in the front of the house. And uh, this opportunity came about. Um, that's how I found Cora. That's nice. Um, so, I mean, I've made sushi by hand a couple of times and I, I know that there's a difficulty level just, you know, slicing and making everything kind of accurate. So, you mm-hmm. know, why, why was there a reason that you were transitioning and from, from making the sushi into uh front of the house? Um, actually, I wasn't even planning on it. Um, when I was applying, they were just um, looking for like kitchen managers with experience. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, that might be a good transition. Had sushi chef, kitchen manager. And then, yeah, they just moved me up pretty quickly and uh, transitioned, transitioned me to the front of the house. So just as important, becoming a sushi chef is a long, you know, it's a, it's a process. Did you like enlighten our readers a little bit about what your journey was to learn how to, you know, make sushi and make craft sushi and really the the skill behind it, the art behind it. Um, yeah. So the guy, the person that trained me, um, that was actually from Japan, did sushi for like 30 years, came up and was telling me about how, you know, they have to be on one station for like multiple years before they can move on to even cutting fish or even uh, like putting nigiri together or rolls together and i was like that's actually crazy but um my training it's definitely like a lot of repetitive uh, motion especially with cutting fish because you want it to be the same exact size same exact weight same exact appearance you know so it's just a lot of repetitive over and over again uh motion but yeah i i trained on him for about a year a year of just doing sushi prep so just prepping for things like cutting uh the ingredients, cucumbers, avocados, some of the fish, but not like, you know, the important attractive fish. And then after that was moved up to doing like rolls, um, nigiri, all that kind of stuff before I became head, like six months more into that. Now, out of curiosity, because I know that obviously like with all of that, you know, it takes knife skills and it takes arduous learning experience to say the least, as, as Jean had stated, do you have a, do you still have your set of, uh, sushi knives? Oh, absolutely. Those were expensive. Uh, <laughs> and like, uh, like, do you, out of curiosity, like, obviously like the Cora Sushi is, is a large company. It's, um actually globally has over 500 locations and uh, is, is a multi-billion dollar company, but you know, them transitioning into the United States, they already have several locations. You know, how did you, how did you come about finding this, finding Cora? So originally where I'm from, Georgia, um, they have a location down there actually that I I had been to maybe once. Um, And then I've been living in Philadelphia for a couple of years now. But um, seeing them pop up like on the Indeed or whatever, I was like, oh, I'm familiar with that company. Seems like a good place to work. So, yeah, I, I had been there before. Gotcha. Now, <clears throat> they have, they obviously, like Benihana, which you had referred to, and I'm, I'm sure you've probably also worked at other sushi restaurants. 
um, or at least in the very, you know, been to different ones. What do you find is different for this particular restaurant and how they function and how they work? Because I know that it's like another um, location, Pod, which is, you know, been popular in, in uh, Philadelphia for a very long time, has conveyor belts. But uh, Cora Sushi also has the conveyor belt system. So um, what was it like transitioning from there, from Benihana, which I know that you make, you know, fresh, right, you know, and serve to the table versus the the plated conveyor belt system? Um, yeah, it's definitely a big transition because um, with the conveyor belt, like it's always moving um, and it's, it's pretty fast. So like... Um, Definitely one big difference is, you know, depending on with the sushi, like we try to focus on plating presentation. You want to make them, you know, big. You want to make them beautiful. All that. Well, this tour is kind of like fast. Like you you need to, like the speed. Definitely I did not have that at first. Um, I had to pick that up. Even even after doing sushi for so, uh, several years, like, you know, I still needed to learn when I came here how to do it quickly. Still make it, um, you know, beautiful but get it out there as soon as possible also. And while keeping it fresh too, like we do um, make, have like a certain amount of stock that we keep, um, but we have to refresh, refresh it like every 15 minutes. So you just, you're continuously moving and going. It's obviously like a very tech forward um, system as well, because the tables, like people can order at the tables, but tell, tell our listeners a little bit about how everything, you know, goes down. Like when they walk through the door, what can they expect? Okay. So as soon as you come in the door, you know, everyone greets you with a irashamase, which in Japanese is like, welcome. Um, and then you'll sit down. The conveyor belt runs through the entire restaurant. We have three, like, distinct uh, lanes, if you will. So you'll sit down. Every table is connected to the conveyor belt. You'll see a big screen at the top. Um, that's where you can place orders as well. And then we have another conveyor belt above that where if you place an order that's not on the belt, it comes shooting directly out to you. And then the bottom belt, it's just uh, the conveyor sushi that's always around, um, always coming around. Um, then we also have, like, a toy machine kind of so when you place your plate slots into the table every 15 plates you get like a little toy that pops out we partner with uh different animes and things right now we're doing like demon slayer um and you get like keychains little little things like that um we also have a robot too when you order your drinks that uh brings the uh drinks over to you as well i forget what the the robot because but it has a cute little kitschy name it's uh korabi right it's, it's kirby yeah okay kirby so mm-hmm. I, I know that that's something, you know, that's becoming more popular. It's obviously like going, it's still scant to find robots that, that are in restaurants, but I know that you're, you're also looking to have the robot start to deliver, not just like beverages that are non-alcoholic, but I think you guys are, are looking towards, um, offering cocktails and whatnot too. Oh yeah. We have started, um, we have wine, we have beer, we have sake and we have, um, are two high cocktails, three different flavors. Um, we have a oh. lemon one, a burning coconut, and a passion fruit one. And um, so what are some of the, the dishes that are, you know, more popular that you see come off the conveyor belt or that people order for the direct conveyor belt? Definitely our most, well, we have like different stations. There's definitely a few popular items from each station. From rolls, I would say our golden crunchy roll, definitely a very popular item. We have like an abori salmon as like so mayo and cream cheese on it and it's seared with a blowtorch we also have hot food like tempura noodles ramen tempura is definitely very popular as well as as somebody who you know has a history in creating sushi dishes what are some of the dishes that you guys create or that you you know that come off the belt or are put on the belt that you enjoy yourself i enjoy myself we're going country roll definitely a favorite i like the eel with eel sauce that's also heated with a blowtorch they are spicy garlic popcorn shrimp roll so i mean with the history of sushi and and the popularity of it that in the u.s are we looking towards you know opening up other uh, other locations as well and you know how considering that you you know went up in ranking very quickly as you had described uh do you think that when they do open up further locations within the the Philadelphia area that you would be, you know, helping out to uh, open up those locations? Oh, yeah, I would definitely love to go and help uh, open up other restaurants in the area or out of the area even. We do have like a corporate um, opening team that just pops restaurant to restaurant, helping to open them as well and train new employees. 
that's definitely helpful. Now, say I have children that I, you know, that that are coming, that I bring with me. What are some of the the fun things outside of just like the every 15 plates, you get a toy. Are there other, you know, things that they can interact with? Um, I would say the whole experience is interactive. Um, You know, you have the robot, you have um, the little plate slot at your table so that you can just throw plates down there and it counts for you automatically. That's kind of cute. And then it's also even just that every 15 plates you get a toy, but every five plates there's like a little animation that plays on your screen. You know, kids like that. That's like the whole experience. You know, you can, you're pulling your own food off the bus. Like the whole experience is interactive. And so, getting back to the sushi itself. So you're, you know, you're originally from Atlanta or down south. Do you find that preferences for, you know, styles of sushi change by region in the United States? Do we up here in, in New York, Philadelphia, you know, have a different palate than you may get in the deep south or in the Midwest? Um, I don't think so. I feel like it's pretty universal. You know, it's all coming back from, um, you know, Japan. And I feel like maybe different regions might have different roles or like, you know, some unique takes on roles. But I feel like it's, it's, it's all pretty similar. You know, every place has their own, you know, unique things. Okay, you know, I, I wasn't sure if, you know, places that I know that while sushi is a, you know, worldwide national thing, in some parts of America, it's still a little slower to catch on, you know, mm-hmm. than, than in other places. And today, there's just such an abundance of sushi places, not all of which are the quality that you're producing. Um, so, you know, that has an impact on people as well, too, because there is nothing, in my opinion, worse than taking somebody for a first experience and going to a local place just because it's local and really not enjoying it. So, you know, you you do offer great quality, interactive fun, but, you know, it's it's, it's an interesting market to see your world. Mm-hmm. For sure. And definitely ranges a lot from, you know, like the lower quality, lower price to like really high quality, high expensive, all of that. Um, but we, we like to consider us like a high quality, you know, we use organic ingredients fresh we make our own sauces like we we try it here well so when people are looking to order or visit you where can they find you online so order so we have an app where you can order um takeout and pickup um we're also on like delivery apps as well and then online you know we have our website we have our instagram <laughs> we have our, everything so could they go to korasushi.com yeah it'd be korasushi.com and where are you physically located in philadelphia where in Rittenhouse, uh, 17th and Chestnut. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. And hopefully we will be there relatively soon to enjoy some of the sushi offerings that you have. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, Taylor. Thank you. To become a sponsor of Food Farms and Chefs and have your business or event promoted on two radio stations in Philadelphia that play on Tuesdays during Drive Time Radio and on a station in New York on Fridays at 1 p.m., you can email us at foodfarmsandchefs at yahoo.com ibfoodie2 at yahoo.com or arpolicus at gmail.com. Well, welcome back to Food Farms and Chefs. At this time, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome to the show uh, Jess and Justin, who are the owners of a truly unique kind of farm to the table, deeply personal cafe and, and uh, breakfast and lunch location in Chester County called Two Birds Cafe. Justin, and Jess, welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. Thank you for having yeah, us. Yeah, thank you very much for having us. Oh, it's truly our pleasure. Your whole concept and your whole feel just tells the story of you know growing up in in Chester County and in, in that area where you wanted to create an atmosphere where people were almost coming into your home and and just sitting among friends and family having breakfast or lunch. That is something that is so common in, you know, the rural Chester County area. And I want to kind of separate it from, you know, Southern Philadelphia. The fact that it's, you know, you're in Chester County, not Delco. It's it's a little bit different. Um, is that what you grew up in, that atmosphere right in that area? Yeah, I, I was, um, I've always lived in Chester County. Um, I was born and raised in, in the Downingtown area, um, spent some Spent some time when I was at college up north in PA and uh, some time down 
uh, south on Hilton Head Island, South Carolina for a little while. And then we lived in Vermont for a short period of time as well. But growing up, yeah, Chester County, where we opened the restaurant at, I mean, it's probably, you know, 20 minutes from the house I grew up in as a kid and even closer for Jess in the house that she grew up in Westchester. So, yeah, I've always been around the area in Chester County myself. And for our listeners who don't know, um, Chester County is a really diverse region. I mean, you do have areas that are much more populous, but you have Westchester, which is the most charming, charming little college community. And then mm-hmm. you move out into the countryside, you have places like you know, Longwood Gardens and you have the rolling hills of you know Chester County, some of the most beautiful areas in America, I think, can be found right there. So, you know, a lot of that that inspiration, I'm sure, transforms you know, into your cafe. So, Jess, you were you went up north to college. You were up in, uh, you know, Ithaca, up in you know, lovely little winters up there that you had. Um, but, you know, you was was this passion, this food industry passion always with you as well? I always enjoyed cooking or baking and reading recipes, but honestly, no, not as far as a career. So I graduated with an anthropology major, uh, writing minor, and, um, you know, one of those like, oh, what do I do with this? So it was a couple of years later where I was actually undecided between something in health and food because it just always interests me. Um, so actually where I met Justin, because I never worked in a restaurant, I thought, well, I better work in a restaurant to see if I actually like it. So, um, I just tried serving, uh, he was a cook there. I loved it. And I found myself hanging out more in the kitchen than I was, you know, front of the house. And that was in March we met. And then in August, I was going to culinary school. And you both, uh, at the Academy of Culinary Arts you know, got your degrees up there. Now, were you more in the line of pastry? Was that your true passion or, you know, did you go overall and, and, you know, dive in head first to us? You know, we, we like to refer as a culinary instructor and as a, as a chef, I always refer to pastry as the dark side, but. (laughs) (laughs) And I did too. So when I went to culinary school, it was to be a line cook. I've always been interested in baking, but no, that is not what I went for at all. And then coming out of it, I was a line cook, but again, always just enjoyed that side of it and kind of got more into it. And um, a couple of years before did like a bread boot camp at the restaurant school after work um, because I just love the process and uh learning more about it so no i i i agree with that it was the dark side that was not why i went to culinary school the two of you are very focused on you know local ingredients and everything like that and what a great area to live in to have that you know what challenges do you face in sourcing you know ingredients in, in the winters and things like that that you you know are you are you facing any of that or are you getting you know, all the wonderful local artisan farms now coming to you with that. Oh, well, yeah, winter winters are definitely a tough time when it comes to trying to locally source items. Um, so, I mean, we do use um, a produce company that will use a lot of uh, ingredients that are seasonal at that time. They might not be locally produced in our area, but we're, we don't try to sell anything that's not available that time of season. And then once, you know, once obviously the spring and the summer, that's the best times for these local farmers to get to us and for us to get to them. It's, you know, it's just whatever, whatever vegetable is readily available that season, the minute it's up that short amount of time, whether it's ramps or asparagus or fiddleheads or any, anything like that, that's available, you know, we try to get on it, but in the winter, it's, you kind of have to subsidize with a local, not a local, but a, um, a produce company, um, they are based in the Jersey area. You know, you just try to use things that are really just seasonal at the time and not try to offer summer items in the middle of December or January, you know? Sure. You know, companies like Seashore and all do a really great job at that. And they, you know, list their specials throughout the year and what's local. And you can always get great information on doing that. And it's a wonderful thing now. Uh, when I first started out in this industry, none of that existed. So it's, yeah, a wonderful thing to see. That being said, the creation of your menu, you know, was it, you know, kind of, we you went to one side, she went to the other, we composed the menu and we come came back and blended the two or was it, you know, uh, a lot of trial and error working, you know, 
you're creating a dish, her tasting it, just creating a dish. And, you know, tell us a little bit about how you came to the menu, the menus that you have now that you use. Well, it, it was just, it was like our, our, like the story of like our, our lives. Like we didn't need to, you know, really try anything because it's things that we've done before, whether together or for events privately or, you know, it, it, we've just done it so many times and so often that it was just, it wasn't really a lot of trial and error and practice. You know, we just took the things that we knew that we loved and that we would like to eat if we were going out to eat in the morning for breakfast and lunch and just keep everything fresh. And, you know, we're just we're a small place. Uh, so we, we have to constantly make everything uh, daily and fresh. But when it came to the menu, it, it definitely wasn't like a, you take this side and I'll take that side. It was the collaboration, just talking and you know, ideas. I knew the food that Jess could produce and she knew the food I could produce. So it was just, just talking about it enough. We didn't need to try it because we knew what we were both kind of capable of. And it was just like, oh, well, I know you're going to do great at that. So we'll, we'll put that on the menu and this would be really good. Or, you know, just, just, it wasn't really like a, you have this part, I have this part. It was just, there's times that when I'm writing the menu that I'm, I'm stumped and I'll be busting my head against the wall and always trying to come up with something and we'll just kind of sit down and start, you know, you know, shooting it. And next thing you know, we have a full menu done and I'm just as excited as I was on day one about this menu as any other menu. It's, it's not like a, you're responsible for this part, all the baking things, all the creative ideas that she has when it comes to any baked goods or anything like that, a hundred percent, that's all her. I don't have a, a toenail or a toe or a foot at all in that, in that uh, pool. But, um, you know, when it comes to the menu, it's just, let's just have fun and, you know, any new ideas work out. Well, we'll get to the menu in just a minute because your menu, you know, from start to finish is just delicious comfort food. Um, but your cafe also has a unique feel uh, when people walk in, you know, that they're, they're coming into their home they're coming into your home. Um, and that trans, you know, that that carries over into your service staff a little bit. So, paint a picture for our listeners. You know what the cafe feels like if they were walking in the front door, and you know the 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 people that you employ. Well, when they walk in, um, you'll walk into where it's the display case and the host, and you'll just see people, and they'll greet you with a smile. More times than not. We're usually calling them by their first name because we know them. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that's one of the best parts about doing this. The food, yes, but it really is that, like you said, the neighborhood community feel. Um, and that's what I always envisioned is I want it to do food, but I also want it to interact with people and actually get to know them and not just be let's just turn tables and get people in and out as quickly as we can. So um, I was actually today laughing because I know people, I know them, but I also know what they order. So, you know, I was talking to someone today like, oh, the salmon came off, but did you like the tuna? Because I'm sure you got the tuna and, you know, and that's what they got. But um, that's one of the best parts. So, and I think that's what people do appreciate it about it um, is that feeling and the servers. Um, that's one of the things too, when we hire them is that it's okay to talk to them, <laughs> to say hi, to get to know them um, because we have a lot of regulars and we love our customers. So one of the best features I think we have, it's called the community table, which is just a live edge, long high top table. It has 10 seats there. Um, but I love just looking out there because a lot of times, you know, solo people will sit there or, and you just see people talking to each other. And um, I just think that that's something we need to get back to, you know, putting phones down, not looking at a screen and just talking. So it's you nice are, that we can do that there while providing what I think is pretty great food. You are so absolutely correct on that. And thank you for touching on that, that community table where people actually get to know each other, put their phones down and communicate and and break bread. You know, food is our common language. It is the one thing that every nationality and, and every culture can share and, you know, breaking bread. And it seems like we've got away from that and that's never going to lead us into a good place. Okay. About your menu. Um, I'm going to start off with breakfast because you have, you know, you have toast, you have plates, you have omelets, Benedict sandwiches. And by the way, if somebody comes in and orders, um, 
you know, three plates to the Southern uh, Pork Belly Benedict. That'll be me. You'll know that right away. <laughs> the little touches that you guys have, like your, you know, your asparagus omelet, but, you know, the fact that it's, you know, roasted wild mushrooms, you know, a good gruyere, some leeks, all great things that just go together. Like, you must have so much fun writing this menu. So tell us a little bit about some of your favorites on your breakfast menu. It's fun. It's also nerve wracking. It's fun for sure. But I, I you always kind of want to out, outdo yourself from the year before and, you know, show the area some new items that they might not be used to or have they tried. Right now, anything anything seasonal is my favorite right now. The, the asparagus toast is fantastic. Um, we're using local ramps. We're calling it a spring onion butter, uh, spring onion goat cheese due to the fact that some people might not be too familiar with what a ramp is and they might be a little uh, timid about it. But I mean, that's that's one of my favorites with the fresh ramps. Um, we make a Meyer lemon um, confit out of Meyer lemons and the local asparagus that we're getting from Delaware. Th that's one of my my favorite things. When we first opened, we had to actually, after the first week or two, we had to downsize the menu because it was just, it was too many things. And that, that's what I have to teach myself is the not continually add and add and add more things on because it, it can be a little bit difficult to to um to master you know each dish but um yeah the asparagus toast is great we do a grain bowl that we introduced uh, a few menus ago that it just changes seasonally the vegetables and the accompaniments with it and that that's a great one right now with some sumac roasted carrots and some chimichurri and again those um confit lemons and it's asparagus it's it's just a great like a great, uh, great spring dish uh, in the morning, and it's it's healthy and it it's a nice alternative to a lot of our um, vegetarian and vegans that are out there. And and a very important you know thing that you do is is cater to all styles of palates here, and and you know that's a wonderful thing. And and when I saw your asparagus toast, and I saw the charred spring onions, I was like, could that be? I was like, now you know they refer to something else. So now it's like, okay, I have to get there this week and, and try this before the season's over, you know, and, uh, you know, it's such a short window to get ramps. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I, I'm, you know, looking forward. I got to maybe make a venture down this week and, and, and do that. Um, and then one of the other things that just caught my eye, and, and it's not something you see very often, but was your, you know, brisket and roasted mushrooms and sautéed onions your omelet and wow you know what it just struck me it's like nobody does that nobody does a brisket omelet but what a great thing that is you know that richness and with the eggs and oh i'm assuming that's a great seller oh yeah yeah big time uh we we used to have it also available as a benedict as well um but uh i, I kind of toned it back just to the omelet to kind of make it be that one special item that has the the brisket on it um, and it it isn't a very common um, breakfast item or breakfast meat, but it's just it's so good and it, it's done right. Um, why not make it a breakfast item? And it's it's a huge seller. People love it. You know, whenever we have it on as a sandwich at lunchtime or a Benedict or anything like that. I mean, we they, they love it. We do it all in house. And I mean, that's like you said, the delicate little touches and the attention to detail is what we excel at is just those things that just make us a little bit different from everybody else is just that that creativity and the fact that we're we make everything in-house and it's jess and i and, and our employees every day doing the work and it's not some you know factory made item or you know reproduced thing it's it's our love and our attention and detail into every everything that we do and you know you carry in because you're, you're only doing breakfast and lunch and i love that i i truly love that but we get into you know some of the like a sugar snap pea salad and then you know popped off with like the the tan the tangerine vinaigrette that goes with that and you know the ricotta salada like it's the, the layers of flavor you're building into your items it's just amazing you know and and i'm maybe i'm talking as you know another chef but as a as a person who loves food like this is just fabulous but then you know the korean barbecue pork belly and last but not least, I just see it, and it would be, you know, I'll hang out till lunch just for your buttermilk fried chicken. <laughs> uh, you know, I I, I want to go and and have a little of that smoked jalapeno ranch that goes with it, and oh, yeah. you know, the pickled vegetable slaw. I mean, 
you know, what really amazing flavor. So what's the big launch items there? Well, you just said it, the yeah. fried chicken. So yeah, that definitely. one, we've learned from our customers what stays on the menu and what it's okay to be like, all right, we'll try something new. The fried chicken does not come off. Never. Um, and people are always ordering extra of the jalapeno ranch. Yeah. So <laughs> that's not coming off either. So, um, so that definitely is a huge seller. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, every everything, the fried chicken's definitely big. Um, our burger's pretty good. Uh, the turkey sandwich sells really well. Um, we have a falafel that we run right now. Um, and that's kind of something that we ran a few seasons ago last spring or, or a few years ago. And people loved it. And they just kind of demanded it and wanted it back. And, and we we bring a lot of things back in a sense that we know that the folks love and that they they're that they're going to want each time. Um, the falafel is a really big seller. Even if you're not uh, a full-on vegetarian and you're a meat eater, I mean, it's very filling and it's great in the flavors. And I mean, people people rave about it. And I mean, it's there, there's nothing that really doesn't move or sell too well at the restaurant. It's everybody kind of has their own thing. If you want the Reuben, you know, that's your own thing. If you want a burger, something simple, I mean, or just soup and a salad. I mean, it's it's I kind of I think we kind of touch all those all those different people um, out there who are gluten-free or vegetarian. Um, we try to appease them as well, make food just as good for them. And I have to, your, your menu covers all that. Yeah. Yes. I was going to say, I have to jump in here because you said Ruben and I was like, oh, Ruben. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have like about, you know, two, two and a half minutes left before we have to, to say goodbye. So I wanted to also ask you, before you know, jump in and ask, um, you had mentioned a bread boot camp. How does that come into play? Like, are you did did you learn any tricks of the trade for uh, creating breads for you know your base for your sandwiches and whatnot? So the tricky thing, I wish I could do more, but time and space only allows so much. So like right now, I do the cinnamon bread for the French toast. So it was more one of those things. I really like learning the process of things. So it just allowed me like making the cinnamon buns and different things of just knowing techniques and kind of tweaking them. Um, I'm sure bakers would kill me right now, but I do tweak and kind of taste and not as scientific as pastry should be. Uh, that's my rebel culinary side, I guess. Um, but so that just it was just I really just wanted to learn the process. Hopefully one day I will be making more breads or fresh like New York style bagels or something to that effect. Um, but right now I'm limited to biscuits and cinnamon buns and cinnamon bread and crumb cake and all those and scones who knew scones were so big. So as we wind down in the last minute here, a couple of things I need to point out to our listeners that are very important. The, yes, you are a breakfast and lunch, you know, destination, but you also do private events. So, you know, if you're looking to do something really special, really unique, and obviously by the, everything we've talked about customizable, you know, the two of you would certainly be people to reach out to. But the other thing that I found really wonderful about, you know, the organization is you are so community focused. You know, you have five or six different charities that you support and everything like that. And in today's environment, that's really, really hard to do. So that has to come from your heart, which I think carries over if anybody listened to the two of you speak into your entire story. So in our last minute, can you tell our listeners where they can find you online, where they can find you in person? And, you know, more uh, just a, a brief talk about your private events. Yeah. So you can find us at www.2twobirdscafewc.com. That's our website. Uh, we're also on Instagram and Facebook. Um, email is info at twobirdscafewc.com. Um, since it's the two of us, you can just email us and say, attention, Jess or Justin. Um, to find out more. We do, we've done, you know, baby showers, bridal showers, even a little wedding, um, a birthday dinner, a couple birthday dinners, lunches. So we just can really only do probably up to like 35, maybe 40 people just because of the space. But each event has, again, like you were saying, is customized, whether it's plated, buffet, hors d'oeuvres, dinner, mm -hmm. lunch, brunch, um, it's really whatever people are looking for and they can come in and 
decorate it and do whatever they want with the space. Again, it's a nice, we use the word cozy space. Um, so, but you can call us as well, 610-222-6200. And any of those ways you can get in touch with us to find out more. Thank you so much for coming and joining us. I cannot wait to get down and try, you know, probably spend several hours there trying to <laughs> kind of my style. And and, uh, and I'm sure on the way out, I'll be grabbing some of those honeys and jams off the counter and, and some of the big goods for the drive home as well. Thank you. I, I love your passion um, and just your love of what you're doing. It, it really just shines. Thank you very much. Well, we thank you. It. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Yeah. And we look forward to seeing you. Oh, yeah. And it's okay yeah. if you do breakfast and lunch. We have multiple people who do that. Yeah. So no judgment. It's a no judgment zone. Well, I have a couple friends in the catering industry down in that area. And they actually live in the downtown area. So I'm going to be calling him right after this and say what are we meeting for breakfast sounds yes. great we look forward to it thank you all right well thank you thank you so much and we will be right back after the short break join us on food farms and chefs radio show where we highlight everyone from top industry leaders to startups and the farmers who make it all possible with co-host gene blum and amaris pollock with original episodes that debut Every Tuesday at 6 p.m. on WWDB 97.5 HD2 and at WWDBAM.com and on your smart speaker. Welcome back to Food Farms and Chefs. I am so happy to be able to introduce you to Armin Sage, who is the owner and head chef of Jessica's Cafe. Welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. Thank you. Very nice to be here with you. And uh, I'm excited to uh, answer any questions you would have for me today. So um, I'm actually going to start out with, there's a little bit of a discrepancy when I was looking up when you actually opened up Jessica's Cafe. Um, I have found one in 2001 and one in 2019. So when did you actually open up Jessica's Cafe? The 2001 is incorrect. Uh, we opened June 11th, 2019. It was about nine months, about roughly about nine months before COVID. That's the exact date and the official date when we opened. So how did you start in the restaurant world? Because I know that you previously worked in other restaurants um, under other chefs. Uh, what is your history? A little Tell our listeners what your history in the culinary field is. Well, uh, yes, it's true. I did work with under... Uh, some chefs here in, in New Jersey, uh, particularly. Uh, my background of food, I mean, goes back from my home country, which is Albania. I I come from a place where it was uh, really uh, countryside, especially where my grandmother was, uh, um, when my grandmother lived. Uh, it was a town where she, I mean, it was one street to go into the town and just one street to get out. And, you know, it was very, 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 very farm country uh, environment. She had about 80, 90 olive trees and a lot of them she branched off, whatever we took. Uh, we made our fresh olive oils for whatever she kept for herself. And it, it was it was about eight, nine of cousins that we would go there every summer and we would see her. She had livestock. She had four huge figs in all the corners of her house. It was like, a, it was like an open space. So uh, and her lands with olives, of course, they were not there, but they were on the other side of, of the village that she that was that she, she owned. But in, even at her house, as I, as I was mentioning, you know, she would, she would make goat cheese. She would make, you know, she had an outside oven. She would bake all kinds of, you know, pies. Uh, we would do our fresh phyllo doughs for sweet or sweet, pies or, or savory pies. So it was it was at that at that time that I was always around for like two, three months of summer. Um I would I would be there. Not every year, but it was at least every other year or every two years that that, that would go visit her. The that that's what really I think I believed I developed a good palate. I think I believe that you have to develop a good palate uh, in time you develop it. I don't think it's something that you just, uh, you go try one dish at Jessica's Cafe and you're like, oh, you know, it, it could be that you could like it, but that could be a great dish, beautifully made, delicious. You could say, you know what? I, I don't think, 
you know, it's not up to your palate. And I think that the the more you develop with pal- your palate with fresh ingredients and fresh, uh, for example, in my case, I always had fresh olive oils. I always had fresh jam, uh, fresh jam from figs or from apple because it came right from the trees. And we made that. We had, she made uh, grappa. We call it raki back home, but she made grappa from, from the white grapes. So I think that you develop a palate through eating constantly in your diet, fresh ingredients, either from the sweet side or from the savory side, however you want to, uh, whatever you're eating from both, uh, from, from, from your sweet tooth or from your savory, uh, savory dishes. So I, I think that was a great foundation for me. And of course now I'd go from my dad's side, my uncle owns a wedding venue. Also he had a wholesale grocery store and then uh, during the summer, you would have um, you would have uh, a little ice cream spot right in the middle of the sand there by the Adriatic Sea. So I would help him out in both venues. We would make fresh ice cream. That's the reason also I make fresh ice cream now. It resonates back. So I go, it goes back with me from very young, from very young age, starting at uh, 14, 15 years old. That that I start working on like making stuff for the kids and then you know of course as i mentioned my grandmother i would go there in a young age and you know eat uh, all that delicious freshness that i just mentioned but yeah that that's where that's where my foundation is and here of course i worked with a french in a french chef i worked with an italian chef his his father was a chef in new york they had some several places in new jersey I was lucky to work uh, with with him for about six years. Uh, a little over in French restaurant, I didn't work for too long. It was about just three years. But I learned a lot under the years, the tech, the techniques, the ideas, and that was that was really fundamental. And then you could, of course, you can go on and you have to make in your own own vision of whatever you want to do. But the fundamentals, your techniques, you you have to learn. You know, you you have to you have to to absorb from someone with good background. And I was lucky to be uh, on, on that environment from the French culinary part, and then from the Italian way of even traditionally Italian and even modern, a little bit modern Italian. So I was exposed to both. So that that that's I don't know if that answers your question, but that's my uh, uh, my foundation of of me being a, being a chef. The best foundation you can have is experience and taking things from many different individuals and learning what products really taste like, what good quality of olive oil is and what, you know, fresh jam is and all those things. There's no better Absolutely. experience than that. So. Absolutely. Um, I mean, even, even as simple things like goat cheese, I mean, you know, that you try, I mean, I've tried a lot of goat cheese, a lot of places that they do make, it's it's good, but that's and it's become big commercialized. When we made, we made just a little bit for ourselves. We cured it. We took our time. You know, even same thing with butter. I mean, you take cream and you whisk it up, and it's the easiest thing to make butter. But where that where that cream comes from is very important. Is that commercialized? Is that uh, you know is that mass produced and and so forth? So you get a taste of what really a, a, a good ingredient is, and it stays with you. And if you have it often and often and often. And you know, and when you know, when you try something else, you see the difference, you know, the difference and you know what a good, I'm just taking an example now, but you know what a good goat cheese is and you know what a good, a not good goat cheese is, you know, just because of you've been exposed to that. So that is, that is the key also to you for you picking your ingredients from your restaurants and pointing out what, you know, uh, where, where to even get these, uh, the best of your abilities, of course, you know, like you can't. You can't get go back to her mother's making goat cheese now, but <laughs> I'm just saying <laughs> you you can know where to where to try to to pick a good one and choose a good one rather than the crappy one. So yeah. so obviously you have a terrific foundation and you definitely know the the levity be t- behind making sure that you locally source everything, which I know that you do for your restaurant. Uh, but we. <laughs> I, I don't want to run out of time to talk about some of the menu items that you actually offer on your on your menu for individuals because you also have done something that not many people achieve, which is you have the Yelp reviewers behind you and you're actually in the top 100 of Yelp reviews because I country. think that you put in that additional love and 
you know, offering locally sourced in, uh, ingredients yep. that are healthy and quality and, you know, making everything by hand. But what are some of your um, items that that people, when they go to your restaurant, can look forward to enjoying. Well, yeah, we we do a savory uh, we do a savory crepe now. We, we I mean we have changed that on different we've made it diff- totally different ways. However, we change the menu. We just kind of change that too once in a while. And I think you can have a crepe all kinds of ways. Usually people remember a crepe for a sweet one. We do it a savory one. A lot of people have it savory, but you could do all kinds of sauces with it. Really, it's like about making a sauce that is hearty. It's right now we're doing a lobster sauce with it. I think with the lobster shells, we reduce, we reduce them down. We get the juice out of them. We make a, we, we, we make a, a nice, a nice sauce with it that, that is very, very flavorful. And we stuff it sometimes with shrimp, sometimes with crab meat, but right now we're just doing it with crab meat um, and some leeks and uh, some selected mushrooms. And I think, um, we had it, we had it, we had it before it was just with shrimp and we added some truffle oil to, with the shiitake mushrooms only. So to give like a nice balance, but yeah, the crepe would be one of them. Uh, we do a nice apricot bread pudding that we always keep in menu. It's very, we have people here from the South that they're, they're used to their bread pudding they, they they're known for that and they, they they always brag about it when they try the bread pudding here and they just they just say wow you know i've never this is absolutely incredible so you know which is a compliment and we were we're, we're proud for that but uh yeah that's another one and definitely definitely i wouldn't leave out the pork chop i mean it's a milk fed pork chop we don't do much to it we just cook it right way and uh we serve that throughout the season whatever whatever is in season as a vegetable we try to find a good match a vegetable that is a good match for a good pork chop sometimes we just do a classic one completely just you know like a braised cabbage with apple puree for example that kind of classic one but it's you know when it's done right as i said when it's done right when it's when you have uh here in and we have local markets farmers markets here that uh that we sometimes go and hunt for a particular produce and we find something good for the season and we just do it uh we just match with we just match it with uh, whatever is good in season it's very hard to do it's very hard to do but i think the the results is much much better and uh the feedback is great and that's the reason uh we've been ranked and to be ranked by Yelp actually is a very difficult thing because anybody can go there and write anything to you. Uh, so we're, we're, and you, and you can't even do nothing about it really. Like, so a lot of restaurant owners don't like Yelp. And I think, I think should be a little better in fairness to restaurant owners, but um, we just, we just been, we just been working hard and uh, people luckily, you know, uh, we have, uh, we have made the place here with, support of some local uh, people here to help us even decorate the place inside because here was a nightmare. It was an ice cream shop. I turned it into a fine dining. Um, but to, to, to be more specific uh, to your question, so the pork chop is uh, one. The other, the other one I would uh, definitely, definitely have, we do lamb here. Lamb is, uh, lamb, wreck of lamb, I'm sorry. Uh, wreck of lamb, we we do right now we're doing it with the yogurt uh, harissa uh, a little little quinoa mixed with uh with a little bit of uh, brunoa vegetables um and it's it's just as an australian lamb which which i think is a great product we have we have a source that we get an Austra- very good australian lamb and it's completely it's absolutely it's absolutely delicious uh, we do uh, mussels also on uh, on a smoked bacon, nusky smoked bacon. It's very particular. The, that bacon is the best bacon, probably the best bacon you could probably get out there, uh, or or one of the best. But I think so far I'm, I haven't um, I haven't found anything better. At least what what I've been looking. I think it it is very very good bacon. Uh, it is double smokiness. It's applewood smoked. And it goes great with mussels. We put a little bit of uh, truffle oil on top, a little bit of a brandy cream sauce, um, and it's uh, those are those people. People love those those mussels. Uh, we have our fresh focaccia <laughs> bread that we bake it here. Yeah, fresh I... focaccia bread that we bake it here, and people just dip that dip that bread in that sauce, and they can just not have enough of it. 
So these are these are the, the the four items. I mean, I could I have some other dishes that we have made here, which have been a special, which was they were phenomenal. Another one I would point really quickly is a frog gras pizza we did with goat cheese, shiitake, truffle oil. Before you get into that, I actually have to, uh, we're, we're running out of time. So sure. if you can let people know where they can find you online and also visit your restaurant um, that, you know, so that we can all enjoy what you have to offer, by all means, please yeah. let us know. Sure, sure. Uh, you can find us uh, online at Jessica's Cafe uh, NJ at dot uh, com. Sorry, it's in the, I was almost at the email, but yeah, it's Jessica's www.jessicascafenj.com. Uh, we are located in 150 Terrell Road. That's Plainfield, New Jersey. Uh, we're right in across. Uh, we're right in the border of uh, Watchung, New Jersey. Scotch Plains, New Jersey, and Fanwood, New Jersey. We were right, right in the county road, 150th Road, Plainfield, New Jersey is a county road that all right. connects all of these towns. Yes. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. And you made me hungry. <laughs> I, I'm sorry that we ran out of time, but we do have to unfortunately let you go. But um, our men, thank you so much okay. for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. My Thanks, pleasure. My pleasure. You're very welcome. Thank you. To listen to the rest of Food Farms and Chefs, tune your HD radio to 97.5 WPEN HD2 or stream live from WWDBAM.com.